Welcome to Success Talks, an exclusive podcast for our Yellow Magazine contributors. Success Talks features life-enhancing interviews with real people in professional roles and small businesses, providing our listeners tools, insights, and thought leadership to help restore life balance and redefine success. Each interview is varied and includes key lessons designed to help you focus your mind, improve productivity, and enable freedom and fulfillment. Enjoy today's episode. The term control freak is obviously not a clinical one, obviously, but it has a meaning nonetheless because the term clearly defines a problem. So what is a control freak? A control freak tends to be someone who has psychological needs, needs to be in charge of things and people. Hmm. This often includes circumstances that you just cannot control. They tend to gravitate to those as well. Control freaks, they don't often know that they are a control freak because they justify their behaviors as helpful. Constructive criticism, they believe that's helpful. Taking over a project, a scenario in the household, it's helpful because no one else can do it better. You might not know it, but controlling behaviours make your friends and peers go batty. So let's fix that. Our big question today is, are you a control freak? To help us understand what this means from lived experience, we have Philippa Robinson with us. Philippa, she had a successful legal career, but after 27 years and a breakdown from burnout, she realised that she had achieved a lot in her life, great, but she was angry and she was unfulfilled. Channeling her experience, Philippa became a personal development coach working with women who have worked hard to get to where they are in life, but still feel unfulfilled. Philippa is also a podcaster and an author, plus a certified timeline and NLP practitioner. She is so much and more. Let's meet Philippa. Welcome to Success Talks. How is life treating you? Oh, hi, Tammy. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. It's quite funny hearing uh, all those things about me said to me about me. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I'm a bit happier now. It's a bit cooler because we're recording this just after our heat wave. Um, yeah, life is good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. I'm the same. I'm ginger. So I've struggled, but I'm glad now that I can breathe. <laughs> yes, exactly. It got quite got quite tough there. We're not used to it, are we? Um, Certainly not. And um, uh, which may come out today. My my brain is a bit foggy. So I'm just like, oh, I need to get back into thinking again. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I've had my feet in a bucket of cold water for the last two weeks, uh, two days even. So um, oh, that's genius. it works. <laughs> it works. Anyway, going off on a tangent from here. We are already, sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. Let's focus on your article in the Yellow Magazine. I have to get this off my chest. So it really, really bugs me with the term control freak. I don't like it. But let's start with your experience with it. From, you know, you having these behaviours and working with clients who also have this behaviour, how do people tend to use the phrase 
control freak? Like what's their intentions? Well, it's certainly it's certainly not a nice thing to be uh, to, to the, the person who is saying it like you're a control freak. Like in my case, it was my husband is certainly not using it in a nice way. He's not like, oh, you're such a control freak and you control everything. And this is so lovely. It's very oh, you're such a control freak. And why are you trying to tell me what to do all the time? And I think. I think partly it's control and freak. They're two not, you, you know, controlling behavior is something that we understand a bit, I think. Um, I don't think we're all, all always sure of what is controlling behavior, but we understand that some people do display controlling behavior. So I think it's the control there, the control element of control freak is not um, a word that we necessarily want used. Mm -hmm. um about us and you know and the freak you know I don't know that that word I don't know whether there's an actual definition of it but certainly that's something unusual not you know we don't want to be a freak so put those two together nobody wants to be the on the end of being accused of being a control freak and um I certainly didn't like it yeah yeah of course how did you interpret it when it was said to you um I think yeah, good question. How did I interpret it? I mean, normally that word for me, it was thrown at me in the middle of an argument. So um, I do know now know that my husband would use that name, label, whatever you want to call it, in an argument to sort of try and shut me down because he'd got to his point of overwhelm and needed it to end. Um, so it's like, oh, you're such a control freak, hoping I think that was done in a way to try and shut me down so he knew he was saying something to me that um I wouldn't want to hear that wasn't nice and hopefully that would um shut me up which in itself so which is really interesting as I'm saying this that in itself sounds like quite controlling behavior but he he needed something in that moment he needed the argument we were having to stop um so he would use that term because he felt that I was trying to control him and to be honest, I was. I wouldn't have called myself a control freak, but now looking at it with the benefit of hindsight and lots of therapy and lots of soul searching, I was trying to control what was going on. Would you still call it a control freak now? No. What no. would you call it? I would call it um, that I had a need. I had an unfulfilled need. Um, and in order to fulfill that need I was trying to control I uh, I was trying to control a situation I was in trying to control my environment and um, yeah and, and it's interesting because the relationship before my husband which is a long time ago now he used to accuse me of being, oh you're so needy and I used to think that I know we're going on a little tangent but I used to think being needy was oh god that's you know you used to say it in a way and I think oh I can't be needy I mustn't be needy and I realize now that my my mother probably found me needy but actually it's almost the same thing yes I had needs and I had needs that weren't being met um and the way I was going about getting them met clearly I, I don't think it was very clear uh the way I was going about it didn't make it clear that I had an unmet need largely because I didn't understand at the time I had an unmet need, um, but also not in a way that was conducive to having that need met. So, you know, I was doomed, really. I was on a, I wasn't on a, a path to success from the beginning, really. 
I wonder, and I don't have an answer, uh, if control freaks also have high demands for needs for them. Everyone has needs, but a higher demand for them rather than self soothing. It's put onto others or one person to fulfill. Is that an experience you've had? Maybe it's just your own experience or is it something that, that, that it's linked? Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely my, my need to control was um, very much acquired in my childhood from being largely ignored and not having my needs met, not being aware that my needs mattered, not being able to voice my needs, and also not being able to self-soothe self in a productive way. My self-soothing was all about food. So I ate and I developed binge eating disorder as a result of my attempt to soothe, which was actually just suppressing my emotions and just keeping them down. Um, and I learned to control my environment as much as I could. So I would, uh, I, I, you know, I'm an HSP, so I'm a highly sensitive person and I pick up cues all over the place from people. And I realize now as a kid, I, I was seeing trouble. I was sensing trouble coming before it came, if you know what I mean. Somebody was about to get mad about something. This, this person was getting a bit irate so I could see it was all going to blow off any moment so I was trying to head everything off you know and this is from being age 10 you know I was trying to head off my mum's imminent anger as much as I possibly could so I'd be doing all the jobs around the house so that she didn't feel like she needed to them I'd be looking after my younger brothers I'd be saying to her I'll look after everybody you go out you know I all of these things I was trying to do to head off what I could sense was coming um, and that's where my controlling behaviours started from a place of um, so it wasn't my needs I was trying to make so it, it, I was trying to make sure everybody else's needs were met so they wouldn't kick off so it, that was my survival skill that was my survival technique to get through my childhood. Sounds like a blend of controlling and people pleasing oh absolutely wow so there's so much that you had to tackle from those lived experiences to then take that into adulthood because naturally you just go about doing your thing um adulting and then eventually it's like a compound effect it gets to the point where it just blows up in your face uh, the burnout could have been the thing for you, but there's many different forms that I've seen with other people. And it's that, ah, so this is what I'm doing. Is there anything, so say someone's listening right now and they're thinking, well, am I a control freak? What sort of things do you need to look out for in yourself? Um, I... First of all, I, I, when I have clients who come to me, I say, actually, it's not about control. It's about unmet needs. So it's more about, but, but as you know, it, it might be more, uh, it might be easier to spot it as a sort of controlling behavior. So um, for me, it was very much, um, uh, oh, 
gosh, I, do you know what? It's actually quite hard to remember now because <laughs> I, I don't really do it anymore. I mean, I'm sure I do, but certainly not to a degree where um, I used to, you know, because, you know, whenever there's no fixing, is there? Um, it was very much, I put my needs last. So I would make sure everybody else was looked after, had what they need. I'd preempted, I don't know, I'd preempted I don't know, for instance, like we never read, our kitchen cupboards never run out of everything, anything, because I know what's in there. I know what we've used. We've always got a spare. We don't run out of anything because then we're not in a panic because we've run out of something. We've got to go to the shop. I mean, we do run out of everything all the time now and everyone's having to get used to it. Um, so it's sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, we've got a holiday coming up, making sure everybody's got, does it, has everybody got clothes that fix? I've got, you know, two kids who grow at an alarming rate. They're teenagers now. So it's like, you know, has everybody got the clothes that they need for the holiday? They've grown out of last year's and always been on it, right? We need to be on this. And actually, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing the children, my kids, young people have just finished at school and I've already got next year's uniform because which I know is six weeks away but I can't abide doing it at the last minute in the holiday so I've already got next time's uh uniform and I was making them try trousers on last week and they're going why are we doing this we've not even finished school yet and I said I know but I know it's going to be mad busy so I just get it sorted and because I'm not doing it all the time now they were quite happy to do that but it, it's always oh well you've got this tomorrow so you're going to need this this and this and like yeah I got it it's okay um so it's just for me it definitely came out in trying to it comes from a place of love actually mm -hmm. I I show I didn't know that me being me just being a mum being here um being a wife just being at home is enough I felt like I always had to do more. So I always had to be on it. I always had to make sure everybody had clean clothes. We have an MLB here, which is a magic laundry basket because you put stuff <laughs> in the laundry basket and next thing it's back in your cupboard, folded up and clean, it's magic. Don't work for me, but it works for everybody else. You know, I, I just would do everything um, in an attempt to, I think, win everybody's love. That's how it came through for me. Um, and yes, you can only sustain that for so long um, before it all comes crashing down around your ears. So I think if you're putting everybody else first, to answer your question, to, if you're putting everybody else first all the time and your needs are not being met, that definitely leads to frustration and... Um, uh, can't think of the word sorry and uh, getting resentment? really resentment that's the word I'm looking yeah. for you know you know I'm putting everybody else first all the time why is nobody thinking about me I had to learn that the person who needs to think about me is me and by yes. actually putting myself at the top of the list and making sure my needs are getting met then actually I'm then available to to be there in a much better frame of mind for everybody else and I'm now not trying to control everything because I don't have that desperate need um, to be in control so that people are going to love me in a way. Also, um, 
and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. To I've got a great question for you. Go for so it. I, from my childhood, we had very similar um, upbringings. Uh, so I resonate a lot with you. And I have yeah. been called a control freak. Got my ah. backup immediately because it was okay, like, interesting. Well, if we're going on this holiday, we need to get this, this and this done. It doesn't just happen. So I was just taking charge or I'd get called bossy, whichever way. Oh, yeah, bossy. Like you only call women. Only women get called bossy. Men don't get called bossy. It really annoys me. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so when you were describing what your behaviours were like, I was hearing lots of positives and I wonder if that's just because my trauma coming up there and so I've got a biased opinion but then there are positives with the control obviously there's a lot of negatives like the resentment and um, not giving your children the opportunity to learn how to clean their own clothes because when they adult you know student life they are smelly little rats you know Um, so there's a negative side to control but there must be some positives within it like um showing what order looks like uh making sure that you know it's sensible to have food in the cupboard Uh, actually can I share something with you about that actually because my so my oldest is 15 and he has a girlfriend now I wasn't ready for the whole girlfriend thing but anyway we're doing it and he goes around um I hope I don't listen to this um he goes around to her house (laughs) and um you know, and it's just very much what you're used to because he comes home and he now says, oh, I really love being here. It's all it's t- it's tidy. It's calm. It's we've all, you know, the washing up's done. There's food in the fridge. Um, so there are positives to it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The only downside to that, because I have the same thing in my home, it's just orderly. Everything's put in place. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I, when I moved into my home, I designed a floor plan. How would I move around my home? Okay, well, I need to make sure my pots are here, my cups are there, and my books are there. You know, I really went a bit obsessive with it. I like yeah. the planning process. Um, but then the downside is, uh, and this is my experience because I had a chaotic home. I benefited a lot from that because I had to find my way through the chaos and I was resilient and I became responsible for myself so I think about my future children if I'm too orderly the impact to them might be that they go into an environment that's a bit chaotic like a workplace let's say they're not always you know they're absolutely not and so they might go ah this is too much for me I'm not built for corporate and they might stay small and hide away so I think uh where we need to be conscious of our behaviors it's saying to ourselves well if this is the thing that I want for my life because it's my truth fine that's okay but what's the consequence of that not just to me but to those around me and I think that controlling behavior there's there's multi-sides to it uh, and not just in the way where people use it in a way to say you're you're taking over you're, you're just too much to handle you're a freak at this yeah, and also some people will just use the, the term control freak just to be horrible. Um, so it's, you know, and it's working that out. Am I a control freak? Is it too much? Is, am I too much? Um, is it something that I want can work on? Is it something I want to work on? Is it actually, is it me or is it them? I mean, you know, there's never a clear cut answer to to any of these things. And I like you, I mean, my mother was an alcoholic, so I grew up in a huge amount of chaos, you know, so like you were saying and I never knew when I came home from school I never knew what I was coming um, back into and um, 
you know, so the element, the, the desire to bring a, a sense of order to that chaos is definitely what where I was coming from and what I what I forgot to say earlier has come back to me it, it I didn't feel safe in all that chaos either and for me order is equals safety um and I think I have learned to feel safe in myself which means that I can drop the total complete control order thing a little bit but I'm just a neat and tidy person and and, and that's okay, and that's who I am, and I don't intend to change that one little bit. Um, but um, I, I think there's all sorts of sides to this con, control freak term. Um, but also, like you say, there are you know resilience and independence and just getting on with things um, are, are all also things that come from growing up in a, an environment that led me to want control. So in summary, it's a coping mechanism for your past experience, whether that was a turbulent upbringing. Uh, in my case, my home was very chaotic. And so I was told I had to clean if I didn't clean properly, I would get physically punished for it. So I think um, mess means get a slap. So I have like an interesting relationship with why order uh, needs to be in place. Um, but yeah, these are just coping mechanisms to our past. What would you say to someone who is having an epiphany right now and they're like, oh my God, I must be this control freak. What sort of steps can they take to move through it and just be aware of their behaviors and um, uh, be mindful about the new behaviors they want to implement? Yeah, I think, I think it's very easy to sort of go, oh, I've got to change everything. I don't want to be that. And I, I definitely wouldn't, you, you know, uh, my message to everybody is you are, you know, just as you are, you are absolutely enough. But if there is somebody who is um, feeling a little bit, oh, I think this might be me. I, I mean, my tendency is to go deep all the time. That's just the way I am. And I, I would say that the, the, the first thing, the best thing to do is to try and work out actually what is underneath it. So for me, it is actually, it's actually a desire for safety and I never felt safe. Um, and I am trying to control my environment because that will then help me feel safe. So have you got any sense of where that comes from? And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have, it might not have happened in childhood. It might have happened a bit old, when you've been a bit older, it might be something from childhood that is not reflected in what me or you are saying, because, you know, we all have very different, um, you know, we're brought up in very different ways. But I would say doing some delving into what is underneath it, because that behavior is a result of something we are feeling so you're not going to intellectualize yourself you're not going to be able to think your way out of it you really need to feel it which is like oh my god you know I know a lot of people don't want to be hear that but for me that is the only way to actually understand what is going on are there practical ways of identifying the feelings so if someone's having that resistant of well I need to be logical right now is there something that they can do to uh, practice expressing their feelings yeah I think it's um different 
for every, I think everyone finds their own way through it. I mean, for me, I didn't ever do any expressing any of what I was feeling until I went to therapy. So for some, it's seeking, it doesn't have to be a therapist, but it's seeking somebody out to talk to, somebody who is feels safe, somebody who is there to support you, somebody who's there to listen, not, not to fix you or tell you the answer, just to listen. So whether that's a coach, whether that's a, a therapist, whether that's a healer of some other description, whether it's your friend who's really good at listening, I mean, it, it could be anybody. I, I would suggest that a member of your family is perhaps not a good place to start, no, they'll justify the behaviours. Yeah, and certainly not if it's about them. Definitely don't talk to them about <laughs> it until you've you, you've worked a little bit out for yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, journaling, I, I'm a real great fan of journaling and I've had some real epiphanies from journaling in the past. I know a lot of people cringe when you say journal. And it's not for everybody. I definitely think you need a, a notebook and a pen or just a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil you don't get the same when you type um, and just go for it. Just write on the page. Some people call it release writing rather than journaling, but just whatever wants to come out your head, just throw it down and um, and keep going because actually you do have it all in, inside of you. And when you, there's something magic that happens when the pencil or pen hits the page, you, you know, I think you engage a different side of your, of your brain. It's not necessarily the logical typing side it, it and it, it all it will flow if you can keep going but I think it's hard um it's not impossible though I've been I've done some relief relief release even breath work before now that is really great um I don't know if I'd done it right at the beginning five years ago I think I would have had a great release but I'm not sure I would have known what I was releasing yes when I did do it and maybe we don't know need to know maybe just the fact that we're releasing something mm -hmm. eases something because I do think we have a great desire to understand everything all the time and I like to understand everything. yeah me too <laughs> I, I and for me maybe that's the control look, well yeah yeah. want to know every eventuality and solve it and move forward I've I found working through my childhood and understanding my patterns and understanding where it came from understanding how it's now playing out understanding how my dysregulated nervous system is affecting me understanding how I can calm that um I mean that's the biggest thing I've done is learn how to calm and keep my nervous system regulated so understanding things works for me but it doesn't necessarily have to be like that, I don't think. I think we can release um, emotions, stuck emotions, old emotions with breath work, with meditation, um, just, uh, you know, with yoga, which yoga done in the way that traditionally yoga is done is meditative and breath work all at the same time. I, I think we can release things without even really knowing what we're releasing, just knowing that we feel a bit lighter because I think the work can go on without us having to know in our minds that it's going on. So um, I think, I personally think we have too much emphasis on what's going on in our head and not enough about what's going on in our body because our body knows. Yeah, it's a compound effect because um, you had mm. your, uh, was it a breakdown or at least burnout? Yeah, but that that was as a result of losing a lot of the 
sight in my right eye, um, which I am sure was sent to me because I'd refused to listen to everything else. I was told the damage was permanent. I lost about three fifths of the sight in my right eye. I was told it was permanent. Then I had a, everything just came crashing down um, because I realized if I couldn't be useful and do all these you know be there for everybody and do everything how because there was a chance I'd lose all the sight uh, and it might happen to the other eye as well so that is what started me unraveling this I've got to be useful I've got to be on it all the time never rest and just always be doing stuff in order to justify my experience um but actually I did it turned out not to be permanent and I did get most of the sight back so um I I do believe that was sent that, that came to me to make me do the work that I needed to do to be the person I am today. And then do you think you know. there's a relationship with your release work and, um, you know, talking through your past experience that helped your eyes? Quite possibly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's all connected. I mean, my therapist, in my very first session said, hmm, I wonder what it is you don't want to see. So, <laughs> the irony. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> sorry am I allowed to <laughs> say that okay. but anyway, I've said it now yeah but yeah I mean you know I just knew I had to do it then I said to my husband actually we were having a really awful time I'd been angry really angry for about three years before I lost the sight in my eye and it I was having like out of body experiences where I'm like standing to the side watching myself be vile and um I just knew something had happened and I said to him I'm gonna have to go and get some help or I'm gonna have to leave because I'm gonna end up screwing the kids up and um, I did get that help and I'm still here and we're all still together and you know I don't know whether I've screwed the kids up but um, you know I can only be the best mum that I can be and that's what I'm trying to do so oh for sure you know the, like I said there's consequences and benefits everything that we do uh, absolutely um, and the ripple effect to is... figure that out like what does that mean that to them like you just don't know uh, you just yeah. need to just do your best and yeah and I I do believe that I am, I'm, I'm much better, much more able to advocate for them now. Uh, one of them's got very mild cerebral palsy. The other one is just been at 14, diagnosed with severe dyslexia. And I'm much more able to advocate for them now and help them advocate for themselves than I would have been able to if I hadn't done this work. I know what, and having teenagers, I'm pretty sure I'm coping with it. I mean, I'm not coping with it great because they're bloody hard teenagers, but I think I am coping with it better than I would have done mm. before so it it's all kind of you know the ripple effect is immense so it's not just me that's benefited from the work I've done everybody else is everybody else around me is yeah there's one thing that you said in your uh, article and I have to find it read it um you said trauma is not what happens to us but is yeah. our response to an environmental situation I, I it took me a moment to just get past that section what did you mean by that so trauma a, a traumatic so for instance uh, like as an example you can have a car crash for instance let's say and four people in the car and the likelihood is all four of them will have a very different experience um, of that car crash and how they feel about it afterwards now they were all in that accident and that accident itself is a traumatic event say it's quite a bad accident it's a traumatic accident in itself but 
they would all have had a different experience based on, um, you know, based on lots of things, based on how they experience the, 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 it happening, where, you know, what the, their life has been like before, how they react to situations like that, because we're all different. Our nervous systems are all uh, wired ever so slightly differently, and we've all had different upbringings. But trauma, our experience of trauma will be very will be different depending on who we are how we experience that and some people would walk maybe two of them would walk away from that accident and once their physical physical signs had healed they they would be okay one person might um maybe they broke their leg so that is more physical trauma and that takes longer to heal. And maybe they are now a little bit, you know, they're a little bit nervous going out in the car and they need to build their, you know, their tolerance up to being able to go out in the car a bit more. And their, their, their trauma that stays in their body stays there for a bit longer and they, but eventually they can kind of get back to where they were and their, their leg is mended and they can do everything they could do physically before and they can get out in the car and drive. One person, I mean, it might be all fun, but one person might actually, you know, have flashbacks all the time, have nightmares about being in that car crash and um, really, really struggle with it. And that is not because they are, you know, to use unkind words, it's not because they're weak, it's not because they just can't get over it, it's not because somehow they're making more of it than everybody else, it's because their body has experienced it differently and the trauma is stored in their body and that's when we have to work a bit more to, 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 to get it out, to, to find some support, it might be talking therapy, it might be somatic therapy, you know, breath work and all those things that we need to release it. So like I had three brothers and we all went through our childhood together. I mean, two of us are much older than the other two, but, and we don't talk about it. So I can't actually tell you, but I think we've all got very different experiences of what happened to us. So it's not, um, you know, well, those four children all went through that thing. They must all feel the same. We definitely don't. And I think being highly sensitive, I'm not saying I had it worse. I do, I'm not, I, and it's not a who's more traumatized than the other, but I think being highly sensitive, I actually sensed much more of what was going on. And I think I felt it more deeply. Um, and that doesn't, I, you know, I, I used to say, oh, I had a rubbish childhood, but hey, I'm all right now. Look at me, I'm a lawyer, I've, I'm married, I've got my kids everything's fine but actually it wasn't fine um so yeah that's does that explain yeah no it does um and I was thinking about your point you made earlier uh, it's better not to speak to your family is that because of uh they could dilute or distort the experience that they had because each of you would have a different interpretation yeah. of that uh, different um pressures on you like you say it's just the way that um you experience it yeah, and I think sometimes it's quite it's, it's healing to share that with the members of your family. So I'm not saying don't ever share it with members of your family, but just be quite um, discerning about who you share it with. Um, I, and I would, I would suggest trying somebody outside your family first, whilst you get used to 
talking about it and thinking about it and feeling it and and just see see when it feels appropriate to raise it with a member of your family like I never had a heart to heart with my mother and you know she's not here anymore you know because I knew I was never going to get the closure I needed from my with about my relationship with my mother I was never going to get from her I had to get that for myself yeah so do the inner work first yeah. and then when appropriate speak to your siblings about it and is that like another way of getting closure and understanding because there might be things that you've forgotten that they remember clearly yes. and that's yes. helpful to go oh I didn't realize that maybe I need to journal about it to yes. see where that behavior is now showing up in my life because it's, it's a continuous evolution you know it's, oh, it's not a thing that happens overnight that's why I found mm-hmm. with them um, I've never done counseling but I've had clients right. who have been through that yes. and their experience of it it's like well I had to work on this and then that and then this and then I had this experience later on in life and then it took me back a bit but I had to go through this like um almost like I'm thinking of like you're chiseling away at something and inside oh like a fossil yes yeah you're trying to find the fossil and you're just chipping away at it but you need to do that work yeah I mean the classic analogy is an onion that's what everybody talks about you peel a layer off so you you know you do the outer work and gradually you get further in but you you don't ever it's like an everlasting onion you know you don't ever actually get to the middle because I think um so I've had bits of counseling in the past um you know three four sessions for something particular that was going on at the time but until five years ago I'd never delved deep I thought I could keep it shut away um but it just came exploding out so uh, there was no you know I had to face it then uh and I only committed to going for six weeks to start off with and in the end I stayed three years that's kind of what I needed and I've done a lot of self work a lot of inner child work and stuff since um and you know I could keep going I'm a bit of a nerd about it now so I could you know I'm pretty sure I could keep going forever and there's nothing like starting your own business to then start triggering other things so you know I'm pretty sure I'm on this forever but actually I'm I'm quite happy I love it I'm I'm quite nerdy about it but that doesn't mean anybody who just needs a little you know wants to do a little piece of work around one thing then has to stick with it forever you don't it's it's a very personal journey healing and coaching or therapy journey it's it's very much an individual thing Mm -hmm. and not linear it's a bit oh gosh so not linear (laughs) and and, you know for for a control freak uh you you know I just wanted to know how long it was going to take me to get over there what it was going to take and let's just do it and it's like whoa no we're off all over the place um which is the beauty of it now, but I can say that from being the other side of it. Yeah. Uh, there were plenty of times in the middle that I wanted to get off that path, um, but I'm very glad I didn't now. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, it's mm. great to hear. What yeah. one key advice would you give to the listeners? I, so, you know, I'm, I'm 53 and I was 50 I was late 40s when all this happened and I I would say it's never too late you know I I think I thought I'd got to that I got to that age you know I was supposed to be sorted and um clearly wasn't um whatever that means anyway uh I just say it is never too late and you know I think you will find people who are a bit bit sniffy and a bit like oh it's navel gazing or you know, why would you want to spend that money on that? Do you really need it? I mean, I would say, why wouldn't you? Because, 
if you're thinking about it, I'd say you probably could do with um, investigating it a little bit. And um, so, yeah, I just say, take some little steps, take some tiny steps. Don't think you've got to take a massive leap. Just take some little steps. That might be a bit of journaling. It might be um, reading a book. Um, it might be listening to some podcasts, it, it, you know, do take little steps and see how you feel about it. Um, because actually those aha moments come all the time. Oh, um, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have any services, products available to help the listeners to go to yellow? Well, I do have a podcast on which I share a lot of the things I've learned in my um, therapy and healing journey, because I figured if I didn't know these things, I didn't even know personal development was a thing five years ago. I didn't know you could heal from these things. So I figured there might be other people who don't. So I share a lot of that in my podcast, which is called Meeting of Minds. Um, and um, yeah, and that I wrote a book. I spent last a lot of last year, 2021, writing, writing my journey, my past and up to the end of my therapy down. So if anybody wants to know a bit more about my story, that's called I See Me. Um, that's available on Amazon. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to know any more about me, you can go to my website, which is safeandsupported.co.uk. I'll put all of those into the description as well so they know exactly where to go. Um, how can the listeners get in touch with you directly? So if you go to my website, there is a contact button there. If you go to the, um, that's the, probably the best way. Go to my website and click on the contact button. Awesome. Philippa is available to support you, guide you and inspire you on a journey to yellow. Reach out today. Help is here. It's always here, but you must take the first step. Mm -hmm. Details can be found in the description. Philippa, thank you for your words of wisdom today and in the Yellow magazine. May your life be yellow. Thanks, Tammy. It's been great.